I have um, I have struggled with something that I should that I question whether I should share this or not share it, and um, I think I'm going to take a few minutes, and so uh, not in my notes here. <laughs> Uh, I think a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you some thoughts on the atrocities of Planned Parenthood. I wasn't making a political statement. And I feel like I, I, left, I may have left some people hanging, and I, I want to reach out to you for a moment and talk to you. Um, if, if you are one who have who has participated in an abortion, whether you were the mother or a friend supporting that or a boyfriend encouraging that, you share equal responsibility. And two things I like to, to share with you. And stay with me because I'm not here to hurt your feelings or to... I'm going to give you some encouragement. And I want you, if you haven't, to be able to be in a position to encourage others. The first thing is if you feel bad about that, regretful, I really congratulate you. That's a good thing. We live in a, a, a culture that doesn't want you to feel bad about anything. And we try not to make you feel bad. There are certain times that you should feel bad. There are certain times that I should feel bad. And so if you feel bad and regretful, that's a really good thing. It shows that you have a conscience, you have a heart for God. But the second thing is if you are in Christ and you feel guilty, you are carrying a burden that God has taken away from you. In Christ, the Bible teaches there is no condemnation. And that is not talking about little sins. That's not talking about misdemeanor sins. That's talking about the worst sins you can commit. There is no condemnation. And I'm telling you, and I'll say it again in this lesson... The good news about Jesus is so good that people have a hard time believing it. Especially when they deem themselves to have committed a terrible sin. We've all committed terrible sins. Every sin is a terrible sin. Every sin condemns. And so we stand before God in Christ. No condemnation. Isn't that good? First John says in verse 7 that we covered before. I'm not going to preach that sermon again. I'll keep referring to it, though. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus continually purifies you of your sins. If you participated in an abortion, whether you encouraged it or had one, you are pure in Christ. You are pure in Christ. And that's why we, we encourage people, if you are outside of Christ, that's how good it is. You are purified. And I'm, I'm not just saying these. And we're going we're gonna to talk about how we can be assured of this in a moment. And that's how wonderful, how powerful the blood of Jesus is. 
And I didn't want you to be left hanging that I was angry at you. I'm angry at some of our leaders. I've called the White House. I have called my senators. I'm mad at Republicans. And I'm mad at Democrats. <laughs> I am political, what, apolitical on this. I don't care who you are. I've made, the, the, you know what, the most encouraging sound I heard this week was a busy sound. When I called Mitch McConnell's office and couldn't get through and couldn't get through and couldn't get through and finally got through and gave them my, it wasn't two cents worth, it was two dollars worth or more. <laughs> I let them know exactly what I thought of his decisions. And, you know, I think we as, and we, we talked about this on Wednesday night, I think it's good to let your voice be known because you are the government here. You're, we the people. And I don't pretend that my voice is going to change anything. But if we all do, I think if we all did and other people, if, if the phone lines were burnt up, with phone calls saying, this has to stop. And I've actually heard that several, with, on several places. This has to stop. If we hear that enough, if they hear that enough, the ones who are making political decisions for their own benefit will learn that they better make another, the right choice here instead of a political choice. So I encourage you to get on the phone if, you, if you're so inclined to do so. Put your trust in the Lord if, no matter, again, no matter what sin you've participated in, if you are in Christ, the Bible assures us that you are pure. Now, let's get into our lesson here, the first steps of assurance. As a minister of the gospel for 36 years, as an evangelist, and with this is, an evangelist is someone who shares good news. Shares good news with Christians, shares good news with non-Christians. I have found a common struggle that we all have. Every Christian that I've talked to struggles with this. Either they struggle with it in the past or they currently struggle with it. And when I say that, for some it is a mighty struggle. It's a, it's a powerful struggle in their lives. Uh, it, I've talked to many who has, it's caused them to have sleeplessness. Anxiety, even depression. I've known people who are on depression medicine as a Christian, and in my opinion, it can be it can go right back to this this struggle that they're having. Others don't struggle with it to that degree. Some give it little thought on a ba- daily basis, struggle with it periodically, and it raises its head and they fight with it for a little while. Several years ago, I wrote a book. Addressing it, if you're interested in it, it's in the library, I think, unless I threw it away. What are you worth? <laughs> and it's this struggle of doubt, which is a, it's a form of unbelief in the good news that I live in a saved condition. God has made me worthy in his sight through the sacrifice of Jesus. I can approach God with confidence. And assurance and truly know that I am saved. I have eternal life. And what's peculiar about this is that most who believe this in their minds, the assurance of salvation, they believe it about others, but they don't believe it about themselves. I'm talking about me here. 
It's easier for me to believe that you are saved rather than, than that I am saved, that I am living in a saved condition. And one reason I think is because I'm so me-centered. I'm not God-centered, I'm me-centered. The first person I see every morning is me. I, I wake up, I'm aware of me. And so I live with me all day long. I know what's going on in my mind all day long. I know my sinful thoughts, I know my sinful attitudes, I know my sins. I know my mixed motives, uh, my false motives, perhaps. Times of weakness, I question God. How can God accept me? Inconsistent in my commitment, a hypocrite at worst. You know, I just struggle with that. And I know that you do too. Many of you do. Beginning at verse 3 in this chapter, John says, I'm going to give you some practical ways now that you can know that you know him. I'm going, to, I'm going to start sharing some practical ways that you know that you know him. And that's a part of this little, it's really not, almost not, not a letter. It's almost a little trap that he wrote here. First John is almost a trap. And then chapter 5, he looks back, and it's on the screen. He says, I write these things to you so that you will know. I've been writing these things to you so that you will know that you have eternal life. That's the, one of the purposes that he writes this. He introduced that we introduced this knowing concept in our last lesson, and we're going to continue it today. And so I asked the question, what do I know? What do I know based on what we've been studying in 1 John? And I know no, no one has been here for the entire series except maybe me, <clears throat> but you've been in and out. And so what do I know? Let me, we know quite a lot of things if we go through this, this uh, letter. We know based on John's testimony that God became man in human form. He was actual flesh and blood. John saw him. John heard him. John touched him. John had fellowship with him. He said, I'm telling you, I saw this man. And he's not a man only. He's God man. We know some, uh, the message that he said boiled down to its, its essence is God is light. That's the message that he was shining. We, we examined what he meant by that. We know some good news that's so wonderful we can hardly wrap our mind around it. It's so great, it's hard to believe. And part of this good news is how God views us and how he treats us in the midst of our sins. That's amazing good news. It's the opposite of every other culture that has a God. Every other God you have to appease and fix and, you know, do stuff with. God loves you in spite of your sin and he gives you a way to get out of your sin. And he purifies us of our sins. And we sin. And yet we walk in the light. We saw that walking in the light doesn't mean sinless, a sinless walk. It's, sin is part of that walk. It's not sinless perfection. It means purification of our sins. We acknowledge our utter need and dependency on God, our Savior. We recognize our sinful nature. This is another thing we know. The tendency in us to sin. We acknowledge, we confess those sins. And when we got to that verse confessing our sins, it says... It's saying the same thing about our sins as God says about our sins. Whatever God says about our sins, we say about our sins. And one of those things, God says, if you're in me, if you're in Christ, they're purified. They're taken care of. And so we agree with God. Okay, if you said it, that's true. God cleanses him. He took care of my sin problem through the blood of Jesus. It's a God-focused confession instead of a me-focused confession. And further on, we know that he is faithful. He says we're forgiven. We believe it. His justice 
Uh, you're going to make me dance now. Don't turn around. That's music up here. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I, it's okay. It's okay. These things happen. All right. We'll, a little music up front here. A little music up here. It's okay. <laughs> Where was I? All right. In God's faithfulness, He says that we are forgiven. We believe it. His justice. He says He does not count our sins against us. His Son's blood has removed those sins. We know the love of God. We know how devastating sin is. Chapter 2, verse 1. And because of that, we do not sin. And yet, when we do, we know we have an advocate with the Father. We know we have one who speaks louder than the accuser, Satan, who is pointing out our sins. He's Jesus, the righteous. He speaks of our innocence through his propitious blood, the blood that appeases the wrath of God. While Satan screams guilty, Jesus calmly says innocent. We know these things. And yet with all that great news, with that overwhelming great news, we question ourselves. We wonder, how can I know that I know him? How can I really know? And John gives the answer. Chapter 2, verse 3 through 6. Read it with me. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. There's so much in this passage. I took one lesson. I'm going to take one lesson and I'm going to leave some stuff out. That's how good it is. There's some keys here. To knowing, to being sure. And the first one is we obey his commands. Now, to help us understand what he is saying, we have to understand what he's not saying. Okay? John is not saying this is how you know him. All right? You have to think about this. Look at the words. He is not saying this is how we know him if we obey him. He's not saying here we know him when we keep his commands. Because... He's not talking about initial salvation here. He's not talking about becoming a Christian here. He's not saying you come to know him, you become a Christian when you obey him. In this passage, that's not what he's saying. There is, in fact, obedience and salvation. All right, that's true. The stress is on what God has done in his grace and our response to that grace, which is faith. But he's not talking about that. All right, that's not the subject we're talking about. He's addressing the doubting Christian. He's addressing you and me as we doubt. That's all of us. Practically all of us. If you do not doubt your salvation at some times, you're a rare person. All right? And that's okay. Don't feel guilty that you don't doubt. <laughs> Just go on. That's a good thing. But most of us struggle with it at times in our lives. I've heard what you said, John. I believe in what you said, but help my unbelief, because sometimes it's difficult to believe this, is what he's saying. What he's saying here is this is how you can know that you know him. And there's a difference. I had to think about this a lot. This is how you can know that you know him. Here's another way of saying it. This is how you can be sure that you know him. And this knowing is an experiential knowing. It's not in our mind We've heard the teaching. We've read the scriptures here. We believe it. 
And now we need to move out of that knowledge, our mind knowledge, and we need to go into a knowledge of experience. And that's what he's talking about. Let me give you a silly illustration. Years ago, we were driving to New Zealand. I was down there. We were living in Fiji. Went down to New Zealand for a, a workshop that I held. Our whole family was there. I can't remember the kids' ages, 14, 12, and something, 10, something like that. And after the workshop, we went and spoke at several congregations throughout New Zealand. We were coming up from Invercargill in the south part and going through Queenstown, beautiful area. And as we came around a corner, there was a sign, bungee jumping. And all three of my kids said, do it, Dad. Isn't that encouraging? Your children want you to jump off of a bridge. And so I looked at Julie and I said, uh, Julie, she said, if you want to. And she said, I'm, I'm nothing. I'll just stay here in the car. <laughs> but later she came out and watched. All right. <clears throat> and so I went up there and paid the fee, of course. And I'm looking at a video. This is what happens. And I go out to the side. This is the bridge I jumped off. And I go out there and I look at uh, people doing it. And in my mind, I knew. But I'll tell you what. You stand on the edge there. And they've wrapped a towel around my ankles and connected something to that towel. And at that point, I had a lot of questions. <laughs> I, I, you know, I thought, did he tie that correctly? Is it attached over here? I didn't see it attached over the other side. It's a bungee attached. Will the bungee break? Will I go... Is it, you know, it's a length ride. I mean, am I going to hit that water? You know, or what's going to happen here? This guy was a little cavalier when he, you know, when he was hooking me up. So maybe he did it wrong. You know, he's done it so many times he messes up, you know. And I tell you what, I did not know that I knew until I jumped. Then I knew. I knew the bungee was okay. I knew it was attached right. I knew it all because I experienced it. And that's what he's saying here. There's a way you can know that you know. Oh, yeah, you know in your mind, we've heard it, you've heard a thousand sermons or more. And you've heard all these things and you've read it and you're, yes, yes, but do I know that I know? This is how you know that you know when you obey his commands, he says. He said, I want you to experience this knowing. <clears throat> a few years ago, there's a book went out, I think it was Experiencing God or Knowing God, something like that. And I, I, I went through it, I paged through it, I didn't read the whole thing, but I read parts of it. And it seems my memory of this, and I don't want to misrepresent the author, but I think he talked about kind of mystical experiences and feelings and intuitions and dreams and kind of hearing the voice of God. You know, that's how you can know and experience God. I think at this point in this letter, John would answer that rubbish. That's rubbish. Not that you don't have experiences, but that's not how you know that you know. John would say it's not the feelings. It's not the hearing the voice. It's not the intuition. It's obeying his commands. That's how you know. So what does that mean? What does it mean, obey his commands? First, let's not get a big old discussion of do's and don'ts. All the imperatives. What's essential? What's not essential? That's exactly where we normally go to. Here's an example. Do we greet, greet one another with a holy kiss? It's a command in the Bible. Several places. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Which church meetings are essential? That's the one we start getting on. 
Should I go to Life Talk? Should I go to this, you know, on and on? Will I lose fellowship with God if I don't do this command or if I do this? If I, if I skip that command, am I lost? Am I out of fellowship? We go all these do's and don'ts. And so Jesus narrows it down to us for us very simply. He says, you know, let me tell you what my commands are. And in one word, we could say love. That's my command. And it means living in love. It means loving God, as Jesus says, and loving others. It means living in the Lord. It means living the abundant life. It means find out what pleases God. That's from Ephesians. It's not an argument over, well, Ten Commandments or, or the Sermon on the Mount. An argument over the do's and don'ts in both of those places. It means I apply it all out of love. I'm motivated by love and I'm compelled, as Paul says, by the love of Christ. In fact, I could show you, I think, how you can keep all the commands, including the famous keep the Sabbath, today out of love. Not legalistically, but the way God wants us to in love. I apply it all. It's not a legalistic code. It's not legalism. I go to church. I go to church assemblies not because I have to. But out of love. Someone says to me, I don't give much out of church. Probably because you don't give much in church. That's probably the reason. You're not being loving. It's a very selfish, I don't get much out of church. Guess what? I don't either. I, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> I, I'm even talking about my sermons. I have preached up here thinking... What in the world am I doing? <laughs> and I don't get much out of that sermon. Church going is an act of love. You mean I've got to sit there and listen to singing that doesn't appeal to me and songs I don't know and a sermon in which I don't even like the preacher? It's okay. I love you, do. Every command that God gives us is given in love. And our response is a love response. Let's look at some other ones. Forgive one another. That's God telling you, listen, I love you, and so I'm telling you what to do. Forgive others. And our response is a love response. We forgive others. Be kind. Don't get drunk, he says. Why? Because I love you, he says. That's why I don't want you to get drunk. That's why I don't want you to do these things. And so we respond to him. We don't do what we shouldn't do. Don't be angry. Why not? Because I love you. That's why you're not angry. Submit. Serve one another. On and on. We can just read all the imperatives, all the, the commands in, in the Bible. And you can look at it from that point saying, God is telling me not to do these things or do these things because these are commands given to us in love. God created us. And he said, this is how you function best. This is how I created you. I didn't create you to be bitter. I created you to be forgiving. I didn't create you to be angry and frustrated. I created you to be kind and generous. I didn't create you to be selfish. That's not what we're made of. And you know that because every time you do those things, something inside you says, oh, that's bad. That's wrong. That hurts. You get, you, you get indigestion. You get whatever. Sleepless nights. Because you're not created to live that way. You're not created to be that type of person. And so God in love says, don't do that and do that because 
He created you to be that way. And then he says, obey these commands. It, it is better translated keep. Some of your translations would say keep his commands. Have you noticed that? Instead of obey. Verse 3 and verse 5 both. This obey doesn't mean military obedience. See, we like that, you know. Military obedience, God said to do it, I do it. I don't like it, but I do it. It's not that kind of obedience. This word means to cherish, to hold in high esteem, to trust the value above all else. And when we do that, when we look at the commands of God and we cherish those things, that cherish the things he says, we hold them in high esteem and say, this, this is beautiful because this is what God said for me to do. When I do that, guess what? It gets into your heart. It becomes part of you and not, not well, God said to do it. Guess I better just buck up and not do it. There's no heart there. We're, when, when, we, when we cherish what God says, it gets into our heart. It becomes us. All these things God tells us to do and the things he tells us not to do, I begin to cherish. I hold them. I, I hold them as valuable. I value them because they're precious. They're wonderful. They're wise. It's the truth. It's direction. It's love. Read Psalms 119. It's a, it's a long psalm, okay? It'll take you 20 minutes, maybe, to read that whole chapter. And over and over, the psalmist says, your words, your precepts, your teachings, all these things, your commands, he cherishes them. He holds them in high esteem. He loves them. Oh, how love I thy law. King James Version, one of the songs we sing. Why? It is my meditation day and night. I cherish it. Why? Because it gives me the direction that I need to, to, to go. And so I keep them. I guard them. I surround myself with these commands. I respond to them. It's not an elevation of the Bible above what it should be. It's not the elevation of the Bible as a legalistic code book. But it's an elevation of the Word of God revealed to us in written word. That's telling us about the Word, capital W, the the Son of God, who loves us and gave Himself for us. And so He says, this is how you live. That's why I obey. Do you see the difference between obeying just because, well, it's a law, and cherishing it and saying, this is how I am made. The second key, walk as Jesus did. Verse 6. I notice here that He says, this is a walk. It's not a run. It's not a work. It's not tremendous effort of some kind. The way John is describing it here is a walk. We walk as Jesus walked. We walk in the light. The Old Testament talks about several people who walked with God. Enoch, Abraham, Noah. They walked with God. John 8, verse 12 on the screen here. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Walk with me, he is saying. Of course, 1 John 1, 7 that we talked to about before. Paul describes in several areas about, uh, about the way we live, and he describes it as a walk, a journey. This is a maturing. This is a walk. And I like that. I'm glad that God did it that way because we don't achieve all we'd like to achieve in a moment. I often see where I want to be, and I'm not there. But it's a journey toward that direction. I might get there in a year or ten years. It's down the road. And so I'm walking with God. 
walking that direction. We walk, and our walk includes stumbles. It includes falls. It includes get-ups. It includes get-ons. We get better at our walking as we struggle. You know, that's part of the reason I think God gives us struggle, so that we get better at it. The more I struggle in it, the better I get at it. And I just have to keep on struggling, keep on walking. I walk with Him, and I walk to Him, and I learn how to walk better with Him. And He says we walk as Jesus did. What does that mean? If we just start there, boy, that's, that's a tough one. Because it says we walk in perfect obedience. That's normally how, that's how I have heard this explained. We walk as Jesus walked. We have to learn to walk in perfect obedience. And the problem is I can't. And John's already told me, don't say you can when you can't. Remember that? The first chapter there? Don't say I don't have sin when you have sin. Don't say I'm, I don't have a sinful nature when I have a sinful nature. And so if you're asking me to walk a perfect life here, I'm sorry. Can't do it. John's already dealt with that. What I think he is saying here is we walk as Jesus walked. How did Jesus walk? In perfect dependency on God. Let me read you. The same author wrote a gospel. Maybe you remember that. John, the gospel of John. And in chapter 5, verse 19, I think this is what he's saying. He says, I tell you the truth, which means this is very important. The son can do nothing by himself. Listen, Jesus himself said, I can do nothing by myself. He can only do what he sees the father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. And he goes on, the father loves the son, shows him all he does. And so he says, he says, I can do nothing apart from God. If Jesus said that, don't you think we ought to say that? I can do nothing apart from God. I can't live righteously apart from God. I can't do right apart from God. And so I depend on him and say, through this walk with you, I'm just depending on you every step of the way. That's how Jesus walked. And that's how we are to walk. He says here in verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked or did. That word live is better translated abides. This abiding is a neat word. and we, we covered it in the book of John. But it means snuggling down. Snuggling down. It means abiding in the sense of your abode, your house. It's an old word. You know, I'm going to my abode. We, do we ever say that? No. But you know what I'm talking about. It's your house. I'm going to my house, my abode. This is where I kick off my shoes. This is the realm of my comfort. This is my rest. Kind of hear some of the things that Jesus said there. When I am in Christ, abiding in Christ, this is my comfort. This is my rest. This is my bode. It's as if a child on the lap of her father. She feels the strength of his arms around her, the warmth of his shoulder, secure in that love, secure in that power and strength, total dependency on her father. We rest in the Lord. And that's what he says here. We abide, we snuggle down in the Lord. You know that you know him. As you treasure his words and commands and do them. It's progressive, this righteous life. We know that we know and our knowledge is confirmed when we obey and depend on that love. Is it possible to know God? Is, is it possible to know God and yet not? Hold it. This is hard. 
Is it possible to know God yet not know that you know him? Yes, I think so. Is it possible possible to be in a saving relationship and yet not sure? Yes. Me too. And the reason is because the saving relationship is based on God's work. The knowing I know is based on what I do or don't do. You see the difference? You can be saved and not know that you know. Because the the salvation has nothing to do with my work. The knowing I know has to do with what I do, what I don't do. To the degree I obey him, that's the degree that I begin to know that I know. Can I know God and yet doubt? Yeah, it's like being stretched on a rack, pulled both ways. I've experienced it. Here's another way of looking at it. Do you desire to do what's right? I think everyone here, probably almost everyone here, desires to do what's right. You know that you know. Where did that come from? Just the fact that you desire shows that you know that you know. Do you feel disappointed and discouraged when you fall? Yeah, sure do. Guess what? That's evidence that you know that you know. Because if you weren't discouraged and disappointed when you did the wrong thing, you you may not even be in a relationship with God. But you know that you know. Do you feel guilty when you sin? Then you know that you know. I bring my wife flowers at times. I call her when I've been away from her for a while. Sometimes I rub her neck or listen to her. Sometimes I listen to her. (laughs) Tell her I love her. And I don't do that because it's the five commands of a good marriage. I do it because I love her. I don't give my money, pray, help the sick, read my Bible, sing to the Lord, because those are five commands to obey. But they're expressions of love to the Lord. And guess what? John keeps talking about this in the letter. It's his fault that I keep, I'm going to have to keep bringing it up. Not mine. We've only covered two times since he said no over the 37. Let's, um, let me read you my first draft of my expanded par- uh, paraphrase. may help us. This is chapter 2, verse 1 through 6. My dear little ones, I am putting this down in black and white for this express purpose. So that you will not sin. Not even once. But if anyone does sin... And certainly that will happen. We have an advocate, one who speaks face to face with the Father, declaring our innocence. He's our complete defender against Satan. Jesus, the man, anointed by God, righteous. He is the one through whom the wrath of God is satisfied, propitiation, sins paid in full. Not only are our sins taken care of, but for everyone else in the whole world who desires it. And this is how we experience a daily, continuous, and growing knowledge that we actually have come to know him and still know him. We treasure, value, and hold in the highest esteem his commands, which leads to obedience. A person who says, I really know God and yet does not value and guard and hold tight his commands, lives an illusionary life 
and is in fact a liar. God's truth, what is really real, is not a part of his life. But those who continually treasure and guard and hold on to his word, his instructions, his perfect law, and those people God's love meets its goal and purpose, that of obtaining maturity and completeness in him. Now this is how we know that we are in an abiding, living relationship with him. Whoever says, I'm at home in Christ, must place their full dependency on him all throughout the journey of their life. If you're outside of Christ, come in. It's really, really good. Not because of what we do, but because of what he did. And if you're in Christ, just be assured that you're in the hands of a loving God who saves you and will save you. If we can help anyone in a public way, we ask you to come forward as we stand and sing. Uh, we-